This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Now again, just a recap, bringing you back up to speed here in the book of Galatians. We've been going through verse by verse through this. If you missed the end of the message, you can always get caught up on our website. But here's the short version of it. Uh, there was a group of people in churches in Galatia, not one church, but about five churches that Paul wrote this letter to. Uh, there was a group of folks called Judaizers, uh, and they had taken the Old Testament law and tried to, to make the Gentiles follow the law. Hey, it's good that you're following Jesus now, but you need to be circumcised. You need to uh, circumcise your children. You need to follow the ceremonial law. You need to make sure that you keep all the feast days. And they saw Christianity kind of as a bolt-on to uh, Judaism. And Jesus says, no, 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 the law has been fulfilled. Now we have a New Testament in Jesus' blood, a new way of doing things. We're now under grace, no longer under, no longer under the law. These Judaizers also wanted uh, these Christians to keep the law from the Old Testament and so that they would have salvation through their good works or the good things that they had done. And Paul wrote this letter to basically write a scathing rebuke to say, you cannot mess with the gospel. Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of mankind, you cannot mess with that. Don't add anything to it. Don't subtract from it in any way. Don't add any additional commandments on top of that. Uh, and these people were saying, well, but we're, we're from, from Abraham's seed. We're, we are Abraham's people. Uh, and we need to follow the, the guidelines that God gave to Abraham and his descendants there. And, and so Paul spends a little bit of extra time here talking about the law and Abraham and uh, the, the ch- child of promise that would come, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves there tonight, uh, Galatians chapter five, um, Galatians chapter four, starting in verse number 21. Tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You wanna go back to the Old Testament? Have you ever read it? Have you ever seen what's required of you? Have you ever seen the expectations that one has to follow? Uh, Paul asked the question rhetorically here. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory for these two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth bondage, which is Hagar. For Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. We're gonna unpack all this in just a second, so hang with me. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it's written, rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh is persecuted, him that is born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So Paul takes an Old Testament story that if you've ever read through the book of Genesis should be familiar to you. If you haven't, I'm gonna give you the short version of it. God had promised to Abraham the Abrahamic covenant that we talked about earlier in this passage that God would give him a land. There's gonna be a promised land for you and your people that will be yours forever. You get to keep it. 
I'm going to give you a seed. Uh, I'm going to give you a child, and from this child will come a great nation. And from this nation, it will come a blessing. So a land, a seed, a blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant in a nutshell. This blessing that would come, that in Abraham would all the world be blessed, was a promise of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ would come from Abraham's family. The problem for Abraham and Sarah was that Abraham was up there in years and Sarah was past normal childbearing years. And so they began to look at themselves and, and they began to wait on God for a little bit and they got a little bit impatient. They said, well, if God's gonna bring out of us a land, a seed, and a blessing, we need to get to work. Problem number one, when God makes you a promise and you feel like it's up to you to fulfill it on your own, you're probably taking a little bit more, uh, more action than God would have you to do. And so they waited around a little, a little bit and God wasn't doing anything. And so Sarah said to Abraham, now Abraham, if we're gonna have this kid, I'm way past uh, childbearing years. So go to my handmaiden, Hagar. And I want you to go and have a child with her so that God can fulfill his promise. Again, if we need to fulfill God's promises by going into sin, we've misunderstood God's promises. And so Abraham did as his wife told him uh, and went into Hagar and Hagar became pregnant and had a child that they named Ishmael. God was angry because God said, this is not how I had it planned. This is not what I had intended for you. Uh, Sarah became uh, jealous of Hagar and told Hagar that she had to leave. And Hagar left with Ishmael when he was a little bit older, probably a teenage uh, time frame. Went out into the desert, almost died. God uh, supernaturally uh, kept them alive. And here's where the major problem comes in. From Ishmael's seed would come those out of Mount of Arabia, or as we know now as the Arab people. Uh, these are the people who have always been at war with God's people, the people of promise. So to this day, uh, you have your Israelites and your Palestinians, and they hate each other's guts. Uh, to this day, almost everyone in the Arab area, area that comes from the line of Ishmael hates the Jews' guts to this day. So Abraham's sin and lack of faith thousands upon thousands of years ago still has real world implications for you and I today. Now, God wanted to make good on his promise of a land, a seed, and a blessing, and he gave the child of promise. Now, this is important. He gave the child of promise to Abraham and Sarah, which would be Isaac. And from Isaac, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob would be known as Israel, and Jacob had 12 tribes from his seed, as we know as the 12 tribes of Israel, and the children of Israel came from Isaac, which was Abraham and Sarah's child. So we have the spirit, the, the child of bondage, Ishmael. We have the child of promise, which was Isaac. And Paul begins to break this down. Hey, you want to go back to the Old Testament times? Let's take a look at how that worked out for these folks. And so as we take a look through this passage, I want you to just make note of some things. Uh, tonight's message is gonna be a little bit teachy, uh, but we're gonna have a, a really solid application at the end. First of all, we see Hagar's line. This was the, the bond woman. This was the maid. Hagar's line brought lostness and bondage. God had made a promise, but Hagar never saw that promise. Ishmael never saw that promise. It brought lostness and bondage. And he goes on to say uh, in uh, verse number um, 
23, but who was the bond woman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman by promise. So Ishmael was born out of a scheme that they had concocted. Ishmael was conceived through a carnal, man-made plan. They didn't like the results that God was giving them, so they took matters into their own hands and kind of pushed the envelope, I guess you could say. Again, if we have to uh, commit sin in order to see God's blessings, then we have not yet fully understood what God expects of us. So Hagar's line brought lostness and bondage, but Sarah's line brought salvation and freedom. Now, Abraham was father of both of these children. Abraham uh, fathered children through Hagar and Sarah. The main difference was the mother. One was a picture of our own best plans that we could put together, and the other was a picture of God's best plans that he puts together for us. Isaac was conceived through God's faithful promise. So one was a scheme that they had put together in a carnal way because God didn't give them what they wanted. The other was a faithful promise that God had given to give a land, a seed, and a blessing through this son Isaac. And that has implications for those Christians that Paul writes to in the book of Galatians. Hagar and Sarah were a picture of those in bondage and of those that were set free. If we take a look at the verse number 24 in this case, he says, which things are an allegory, which are these two, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth bondage, which is Hagar. Now, in this case here, Paul says, I'm gonna give you a picture using these two people and using the law and bondage and sin and religion and things along those lines. I wanna pause here for just a second and say that we as Bible-believing Christians believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible unless it is obviously not to be interpreted literally. I know that sounds a little bit confusing on the surface. We believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible unless it is made obvious it is not to be interpreted literally. In this case here, Paul says, this is an allegory. Therefore, we interpret it allegorically. There are other times, especially in the Psalms, when the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, we don't believe that God is a big, tall tower of rocks that we run into and hide. It's obviously speaking in a figurative sense. When the psalmist says that he waits under the shadow of the Lord's wings, we don't believe that God has wings and David was sitting underneath the shadow of those wings. It's meant to be interpreted figuratively. It gives us an idea of that. But we, when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, we believe that God created the heavens and the earth the way the Bible says, in six literal days. We don't believe that those days could be ages that we go into that would be known as the day age theory of creation. We believe that God created uh, the universe just the way that he said that it would. We, we talked about last week, you know, that uh, uh, last Sunday that sometimes people feel the need to marry science and, and faith together. And so they'll come up with ideas like theistic evolution uh, where we believe that God, we don't believe this, but they believe that God created the earth through evolution. Uh, through, through millions and millions of years, each one of those days of creation was actually maybe a million year period or a billion year period uh, through which God created. We don't believe that, we reject that, we take the Bible at face value. We believe when the Bible says that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish and Jesus goes on in uh, the gospels to say that Jonah was in the belly of the whale. We believe that Jonah was literally swallowed by a whale, lived there for three days and was vomited up on the shore. You say, 
Come on, pastor, how does that happen? I don't know how it happens. I just know that the Bible says it so. Therefore, we believe in a literal account of the Bible. People who view the Bible allegorically would say, Jonah was just in a really bad place for three days. The Bible says it was the belly of a whale, but it was just a dark place where he couldn't see what was around him. He was facing impending death uh, and he had so much darkness around him that he couldn't see. And that's what the Bible's talking about because it speaks allegorically. King David wasn't a real person or a real king. He's just a picture of all of us who really at the core wanna do the right thing and wanna serve God, but we're deeply flawed. And as a result of that, we have this strange dichotomy of wanting to follow after God, but follow after our own heart. And David wasn't a real person. He's just a picture for us. We reject 100% of that. God's word is the word of God. It's meant for us for doctrine, reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, and it's good every single bit of it. So we believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible, except when the Bible obviously doesn't expect us to interpret it literally. If you ever have a question, that's why you have a pastor. We'll find out the answer together if I don't know the answer for you. In this case here, Paul says, I'm speaking allegorically. Hagar and Sarah are a picture of those that are under the law, those who have to do things to gain God's forgiveness and acceptance, and those who are free and have received the promise of forgiveness of sins. And it's a picture between those two. As we look at this, Hagar and Ishmael represent the covenant of the law and works. So again, because this is an allegory, I think we would look on the surface and say, well, if the, the Old Testament law and the Old Testament promise was given to them, uh, then that must mean that, that they're the picture of that. Not the case at all, because it's an allegory here. Because Hagar and Ishmael were under bondage, so those that were under the law, those that were trying to get to heaven by their works are also under bondage as well. Again, this is a picture. If you believe that you can fulfill the 10 commandments in the law of the Old Testament and go to heaven, you have misunderstood the promise that comes. And you're just like Hagar and her son who had no promise had no right to claim ownership to the promises of God. On the flip side of that, Sarah and Isaac represent the covenant of grace and faith. Two different covenants. One was the covenant that was given of the law. The other one was a covenant of faith and grace. And for those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, those who would come to God in repentance and say, I cannot make it to heaven on my own. I'm not good enough, but I completely and totally accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and seek forgiveness of sins. These are the people who are a picture of Sarah and Isaac who received a promise from God, no longer in bondage to the law, no longer in bondage to the old way of doing things, but now have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ and receive salvation through grace and through faith. But Abraham and Sarah's seed would not stay under God's grace and faith. They also rejected Christ as Messiah. Take a look at verse number 25. For Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem. So the uh, Ishmael seed that comes from Hagar, now they were under subjection of the Jews and they no longer had access to God's promise. But he goes on to say, and Jerusalem is now in bondage. So the Jews that were made free now have taken back 
and gone back to bondage. Why? Because the Jews rejected Jesus and they too became enslaved. So God gave a land, a seed, and a blessing to Abraham so that the Jews could be saved. But they rejected the way of salvation. True Orthodox Jews today, to this day, are still waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. The Jews will forever be God's chosen people. God's placed his hand of blessing upon them. But all Jews that reject Jesus Christ as Messiah are in bondage to, this is heavy, a false religion. And any Jew that dies in their sin without Jesus Christ will still spend eternity separated from God in hell. No two ways about that. Well, I thought they were God's chosen people. They are, but they still must be saved as well. And those who reject Christ as Messiah will spend eternity separated from him, whether they be Jew, Gentile, or otherwise. If you ever hear the term Messianic Jew, this is a group of Jews who accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. They realize that he is Yeshua, the son of promise, the Messiah, the chosen one. Messianic Jews accept Christ as Savior. They're saved the same way that you and I would be. Oftentimes they'll keep their uh, historical and cultural background. They might wear a different type of clothing than you and I might wear. They might celebrate different feast days, but not to earn salvation or not as a picture of what the Messiah will be like when he comes, but as a celebration that Messiah has already come. And we celebrate Jesus Christ as that. But for the Jews that rejected Jesus Christ, they became enslaved to this false religion as well. And so Paul points out here, hey, there was a way for everyone to be set free. But in this case here, Ishmael's seed has rejected it. And also Sarah's seed or Isaac's seed has rejected it as well. If we take a look at the verse number 26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. So while the Arabs and Jews are both in bondage to the law, sin, and religion, the citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem are free. Notice verse 26 here, it says, but Jerusalem, which is above. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven. The new Jerusalem. The citizens of the new Jerusalem, they're free. (laughs) The citizens of, of earthly Jerusalem, they're still in bondage. The citizens of the uh, mountains of Arabia, they're still in bondage to their sin, to the law, to false religion, still in bondage. But the citizens of heaven, they're the ones that are free. And so he says here, you that reject Christ as Messiah, you that want the law, you that want to keep the Old Testament feast days for salvation, you that want to circumcise for salvation, you're just like Hagar's seed. You never got the promise from God. You're a people who have no people. Those who accept Christ as Savior, they're the ones that are truly free. And now they're citizens of the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above. They're free. They've found freedom now. It goes on in verse number 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Skip down to verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So if you're a child of God here tonight, we are now the children of promise and we are now free. God promised that through Abraham's seed would come a land, a seed, and a blessing. 
his land, Israel. The land we have now, a new Jerusalem, which is heaven. There would come from his family, a seed. That seed would bring forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We now have access to that. That would bring us the blessing that we have. And God said of Abraham, I'm gonna build a mighty nation of you. But Paul's saying here, the, again, the allegory of it is that the nation that God created from Abraham was not the Jews, wasn't the people living in Israel, it's you and I. It's the family of God. It's all those that would be saved. They are the nation that came as a promise to Abraham here. Again, this, for some of you, this might go a little bit further than, you're, you're, than you want to take it. Let me say that way. But here's the thing. Sometimes people say that the Old Testament was written to the church and the church is now Israel. That's called replacement theology where we take the, the, the promises that were given to Israel, we take that away and we plug the church in there. So everything in the Old Testament is not really talking about Israel, it's talking about the church. We reject that. The Old Testament was given for, to help us understand what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's not a replacement of the Old Testament. And so some people look at this story that we have here and they go, oh, it all makes sense now. The church is Israel. That's not what Paul's saying here. Oh, the land, seed, and blessing, that was actually talking about the church. The church would be that nation. It's, he's drawing a parallel, a picture between the two. It's not an actual direct replacement. And if that confuses you, see me afterwards, I'll try to straighten it all out for you. But here's what he says. We're now free from the law. We're now free from bondage. We're now free from our sin. We're now free from the constraints of religion that it might bring into us because we have been set free by Jesus Christ. And you and I are now children of that promise. You and I are now free because of that. And so Paul has a rhetorical question in verse number 21. You're free. Do you want to go back to bondage? You've been set free from religion. You've been set free from the law. And he says, have you even read the law? Do you know what you're trying to subject yourself to again? And so I would say here, the application for you and I tonight is, is this. First of all, God's plans are always perfect. <laughs> to think that God planned out an eternity ago how you and I could be saved is mind-blowing. That when God said to Abraham 4,000 years ago, hey, I'm gonna make from you a land, a seed, and a blessing, God already knew what that looked like. He already had it determined that his son would die for my sins and for yours. Now, Abraham and Sarah got tired of waiting on that and they tried to shortcut God's plan, but God's plans are always perfect and God's plans are always on time. Trust the process. Second thing that I see here in this passage is that you and I are now adopted sons and daughters by the promise that God gives to us. That means that we're now part of God's family Isn't it neat? If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of weight was put on what tribe you came from. A lot of weight was put on who your parents were. If you don't believe me, read the book of First Chronicles. 
Like the first 10 chapters are all genealogies. Who these people are. A lot of weight was put on that. And in this case here, there's a lot of weight. Do you come from Ishmael's side or do you come from Isaac's side? But I'm thankful that now, though we were born outside of God's family, we've been adopted into the family of God, who my parents were really doesn't matter because I have a father now. Where I grew up really doesn't matter because I have a different father now. My hometown doesn't matter. You know why? Because I've got a new city above Jerusalem that I'm a part of. Maybe I didn't grow up in the best family. No worries, you're part of a new family now. Well, I didn't have the lineage that somebody else has. Hey, it doesn't matter. You got a new family tree now that you're starting. And now I'm no longer beholden to the way that things used to be or the way that someone had mapped out for me once upon a time. I'm now free in Jesus Christ. Third thing that I see here is if we're truly free, then we're not only free from the law, we're not only free from religion, but we're also free from sin. It's a beautiful picture that we find in Romans chapter six, that when you became a child of God, you were forgiven of your sin, forgiven of the penalty of your sin, and then the power and stronghold that sin had over you was taken away. Oftentimes Christians say, well, well, pastor, I still have this sin that I get caught up in again and again and again. It has a stranglehold on me. The only reason that that's the case is because you allow that to happen. Romans chapter six says that you've been set free. Sin hath no more dominion over you is what it says. Well, pastor, I just feel like I get caught up in it. Romans chapter six has an answer for that as well. Yield not your body as members to unrighteousness, but yield them to righteousness. You know what that says? You got a choice. Will I follow sin or will I follow righteousness? Your choice, totally up to you. But here's the thing. I'm not in bondage to sin. I'm set free from sin. If I go back to it, it's because I choose to. So that means I have to choose every single day to die to my sinful flesh and be alive unto righteousness and choose to yield myself to righteousness. It's a choice that I get to make. So again, in this passage, a lot of history, sometimes confusing if you didn't, don't fully grasp every detail of the story and see what Paul's, the, the uh, illustration that Paul's trying to bring out of this passage here, but so much practical application. At the end of the day, Paul's saying here, hey, it doesn't matter uh, if you were born Arab, if you were born Jew, if you were born Gentile, it doesn't matter Jesus Christ is overall and he is the, the gospel is the unifying message here. And I think that's why Paul defends the gospel so vehemently here because people from every ethnicity and cultural background can be brought together through the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind unifies everyone on planet earth. But the Judaizers there, they were trying to chop it back down, segregate again based on religious preference or where you came from or who your parents were. Paul says, nope, not on my watch. We're all unified together. We are now free. We are the children of promise because of what Christ has done for us. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home when you die, know this, Jesus Christ died for your sins because he loves you. And being alive in Jesus Christ will be the most incredible freedom you've ever experienced in your entire life. If you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure that you are safe. 
Thanks for joining us for the Huikala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.